Hello and welcome to episode 315 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fans Weekly Podcast of Many Topics. I'm Mike Solosi, and less than 12 hours ago, I finished a video game that has affected me emotionally and it makes and makes me, you know, feel extra lonely in a way that is, I don't know, maybe says more about me than the game. But uh, the, the game is Imposter Factory, and my podcast partner for me to, uh, with me to talk about Imposter Factory today is Zach Williams. Hello. Zach, you and I recorded an episode on Finding Paradise about a year ago. Mm-hmm. And uh, Finding Paradise is the second game in the uh, To the Moon Sigmund Corporation trilogy by Kan Gao. And uh, Imposter Factory is the is the most recent game in the trilogy. It was released in late dis- excuse me late September of this year. And uh, these games have been a bit of a retro encounter staple. We did an episode on To the Moon in, uh, I believe, 2016 for our sort of indie games month, and 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 I liked it a lot. And then in uh, subsequent years, we played a Bird Story. Uh, I, I recorded an episode with Peter Schriesenberg on that one, and then Finding Paradise, and then Imposter Factory. And even though uh, for those first three, we sort of recorded those podcast episodes years after the games came out, um, we're doing this one recently because. Imposter Factory is a 2021 game that both you and I were very excited about, and mm-hmm. I think we both knew we would want to talk about it on a podcast not long after playing it. Is that is that fair? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I was uh, very excited to talk about it. I, um, for a long time, wanted to review it, but it just didn't work out that way, so I'm excited to be able to share my thoughts this way. And um, you were much um, more of a better fan than I was. Uh, you played it a few, like within a few weeks after it came out. I finished it again, like I mentioned, uh, less than twelve hours ago in the first week of December. So uh, I, and but I was I was distracted by other games and sort of kept putting it off because I wanted to be sort of fresh to talk about it on a uh, on a podcast or or for end of the year game of the year stuff. But Zach, I really, really enjoyed it. This is this is a game that lives up to the promise of those earlier um, mm-hmm. Kan Gao games, and it, it 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 fulfilled my expectations and went and did some things that I that I sort of expected and was happy about, and then it completely subverted my expectations other times. Mm-hmm. Like this is not a breezy, predictable game, but it is emotional and moving and fun, and I uh, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, what what were your early impressions after finishing it? I mean, I thought it was lovely. Um, I I'm not sure if I like it. You know, I, I it's really hard for me to rank. You know, those three games, but I um, you know, it, it's doing things in a different way. Like it's it's almost more it's more linear in some ways than the first two, um, and it kind of breaks the mold of that. But then in some ways, it's even more um, <laughs> messing with like with what's happening in your head. So I think that um. I like that they that Kangal broke the mold here a little bit. I think that sort of the linearity of the center of the game um, makes it in some ways, I think, uh, more obviously emotional. Um, and I uh, thought it was really, really moving and beautiful. I, I think this is the most linear of these games. Um, maybe not a bird story, but a bird story has, is uh, is somewhat uh less meaty narratively than the other three mm-hmm. and, and and again it's like it's a trilogy plus one because because bird story is sort of the guide end chapter i guess of uh, of these but uh imposter factory felt like the most linear of um the major ones you're, you're like the spaces you explore are more guided and even they're, they're not smaller like, like the, the mansion in um imposter factory is as big as any environment in uh in in the previous two games i think mm-hmm. but uh 
but it, but it's it's sort of your objectives are clearer and you're somewhat more guided. So I, I think this was my shortest playthrough of those three, and um, and the easiest to manage the like exploration parts of, but uh, but still uh, like a really beautiful high concept story that you know that is. Uh, I mean, I know that you aren't as into ranking things as I am, but but, but my brain sort of mentally ranks everything I ever I I, re- <laughs> I read, watch, or play. So that, 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 that that's a that's a me problem, not a not a not an imposter factory problem. But I think that Finding Paradise is still my favorite, but this one is definitely worthy, definitely worth playing, definitely recommended. But I think you sort of I I think you maybe sort of have to play all of them to. Be because they they are direct sequels that build upon one another. Mm-hmm. I think that definitely the ending of Imposter Factory, which we'll get to, um, yeah. would lose a lot of impact um, if you haven't played the first two. And um, the crazy thing is, for the first seventy five percent of the game or so, I even thought to myself, um, you know, this might be an ideal first game to play for people, <laughs> like, like because it it seems like a prequel. I might we'll get to that in a second, and. Uh, and and doesn't and is definitely related to the other games in the series, but doesn't seem like it's a direct follow up to the story, mm-hmm. um, be, because again, it's talking about events in the past and about um, and about the technology that's sort of at the core of the storyline for all of these. So, so I was thinking to myself, huh, maybe someone could play this game first and then go to To the Moon and not lose a lot, because uh, be, because this in some ways this is explaining the uh, like the the, the background to the um to the your earlier games it's the yakuza zero of the sigmund corporation games um but it's that that's not really the case at all like when you get to the end there are major callbacks to uh finding paradise and to the moon that makes it very clear yeah this is maybe not a direct direct sequel but it, you you should play this one after those two um i i think i'm pretty confident in saying that oh absolutely i mean I, you could play it first but it just i mean first two are really good so like there's no reason to skip them (laughs) um so i I, it's not like this is like a like a much better technically game it's not like saying like oh you can you can start with yakuza 7 or whatever you know what i mean like it's it's like there's just no reason to skip the first two total agreement but we're i mean we're sort of waffling around this game talking about why we like it and why we recommend it without really talking about the game yet and we're in the first seven minutes of the podcast maybe we should uh (laughs) maybe we should start at the beginning um um, for uh, the whole game, you're, the protagonist is a man named Quincy who has a very nice brown jacket, and he's uh, and he's going to a, uh, he's been invited to a party at a mansion that seems a little run down, but the guests are very wealthy, very connected. He's not really sure why he's at the party, and then suddenly, uh, uh, and he's the first person to arrive. He meets um, uh, two professors named Haynes and Yu, and a young woman named Linry. But then when he exits and enters a few rooms, he, uh, he finds the corpses of Dr. Yu and Dr. Haynes at the top. And, uh, and, and then out of, and then out of like him and the maiden Butler uh, coordinate a little bit, like what's happened here. I don't, I don't know. I saw Linry leave the room. I, I don't know what's going on. He goes and washes his hands. And then when he leaves the bathroom, um, everything, uh, nothing has uh, well, I should say everything has been reset. Like there's a, uh, uh, the maiden Butler are treating him like he just arrived to the house. Um, Dr. Yanes and Dr. Uh, sorry, Dr. Yu and Dr. Haynes are alive. And Quincy is very, very puzzled. He, it's, it's, it's like, it's like nothing had had none of the murder that he witnessed 
it ha- ever ever happened mm-hmm. and it then his and then sort of history repeats itself itself a little bit he meets the doctors and linry and the party guests again uh he he plays with the cat finds a key you feel like you're in an old school adventure game for a second and then he uh and then he finds the corpses of the doctors again but this time he's sort of left alone with them and and, and the maid thinks that he's probably the murderer when in the first instance the, the the maid he he and the maid discovered the bodies together so they like he's being uh questioned by the other house guests he he escapes to, he um he's 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 chased into the bathroom this time he washes his hands a little bit he's incredibly shaken he opens the door to the bathroom and it's been reset again everyone like no and no one has as many memory of what happened the previous two murder rooms and quincy's ex- extremely bothered by all of this he suspects that linry might know more than she's letting on because uh be, because she's acted in in as in an odd manner for both mm-hmm. of the pre, both of the previous events and at at this point i'm thinking to myself all right i don't see any characters from to the moon or finding paradise here is this uh is this a complete side game that's a is it a murder mystery is it uh <laughs> am, am, am i maybe trapped in someone's memory and then the and the but the memory is is getting messed up because again to the moon and finding paradise are about a group of people that go into the memories of the of of people that are in hospice so that they can uh die with fewer regrets or with positive memories instead of negative memories it's 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 kind of like in inception for like for uh for el- for like the elder care <laughs> and uh <laughs> it, it, but but in like in in like a in with with the sort of positively toned like it's a game about memory and emotion and trying to you know with this sci-fi bent so i I was expecting a game like that but instead i'm trapped in this murder sim house um and uh and so i but again i didn't know what was going on i thought maybe i uh quincy would have to solve this i was probably in someone's mind somehow but i didn't really understand uh what were for the first hour or so were you thinking a similar thing or did you have a better idea of what was going on than i did no i mean i i was pretty much in the same boat i mean i sort of going in I had knowledge that it was like part of the to the moon, you know, Sigmund Corp universe. And so like I was as you're walking in, I was thinking like, all right. And then when they died, like obviously someone's memory is like in a loop. Um, The the actual answer didn't occur to me, but I I definitely thought that there was something strange there. But the thing that struck me the most was honestly like the mansion itself. (laughs) I like the fact that it was like self-cleaning and the rice bot, which is the best character in the game, um, like sort of being this like little like thing that goes around and gives you rice uh, being really amusing. And so like as I'm as I'm as I'm like playing and I'm thinking like this must be in the future after, um, you know, fighting paradise into the moon because uh, the technology is so advanced that we don't see anything like that in those um, two games. So that was also part of what I was thinking. Um, obviously that's not the way it turns out, but that was um, like the golden bathtub and all the you know cooks and stuff. So I thought it was a really compelling setting to start with as well. Yeah. The mansion is so weird. There's a, uh, a kitchen with three cooks working their tails off, even though there's only about eight people at the party. Uh, there's a cleaner bot that is cleaning up after everything rapidly. And then rice bot, the most delightful side character of 2021 who's who exists only for cooking the best rice in the universe and for also providing emotional support 
Like, wait, when you, if you go up to Rice Spot at the party, like, you, there's a dialogue option, eat rice, emotional support. <laughs> and, and both, yeah. and both of those dialogue trees are very amusing, right? Rice Spot's fantastic. <laughs> and the emotional um, support is, eat some rice <laughs> i think so and, and, and this happens way later in the game but like hours later when you actually do get to eat some rice quincy is so overwhelmed by the deliciousness of the rice that he collapses and and, and like the, the and uh there's and, and he and he just you know has mental bubbles about rice for a full minute the, the dialogue in this game is it, it, it I, we've probably covered this in previous episode um previous episodes kangao has a really wry sense of humor mm-hmm. and he, he and he is like he, he he finds he's able to create ridiculous or impossible situations and then treat them with with the with gravity and level levity like he'll he'll joke about the events of the game and uh have people respond in ways that feel very real but also very witty and funny like like i i really enjoy the sense of humor this game presents even though most of it is about drama and tragedy and and not comedy. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of the things that distinguishes these games in general. Um, Cause they're so full of like weighty topics and weighty conversations and weighty ideas, <clears throat> but it's always um, like in the first two, it was like the interplay between Eva and Neil. Um, and then here it's just uh, Quincy um, is uh, really funny um, and self-aware uh, in like kind of a strange way. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that he's delightful um, and Obviously, just yeah, the the cat stuff is really funny. Um, yeah. Oh yeah, geez, the, the, like you you find a cat that you interact with briefly to find a key, and then when the cat resurfaces later, it's like, I, I think every new room you see the cat in, he gets a little longer mm-hmm. until <laughs> which point um, he's about as tall as a person. And then there's a Pokemon evolution scene that even has music that's a little bit similar to the evolving music in Pokemon, <laughs> where he evolves into a cat with boxing gloves to defend you. And then <laughs> not two minutes later, you the cat encounters something so scary that it just flees the room. It's, <laughs> it, it's it, like, like <laughs> again, the, the sense of humor in this game, in uh, like even when it's uh, clashing against weighty topics or things that that don't necessarily should be that aren't things that shouldn't necessarily be laughed at uh the, the game will will tell jokes and and break up the drama and tension with humor in a way that uh, this game is not a comedy but it's but it's sometimes funny and that's very appreciated yeah and, i mean i think that all the games to some degree are about like finding joy um and i think that um without that it would be so dour throughout that it would be hard <laughs> uh to kind of get why what joy he's talking about and I made the com- the comparison to hospice earlier in to the moon and finding paradise. This is a group. This is a, about a group of people who are encountering, you know, sad men who are, who are close to death and, you know, and sort of re-experiencing their memories. It's, it's, it, it, it's sad. If this was a real job, it would be, you know, depressing and even, and soul destroying a little bit, kind of like a real hospice or el- elder care worker. Mm-hmm, you, sure. can, 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 that that's that's very difficult emotional emotionally draining work you really need to be uh, you, you need to be able to find the joy in things to work that kind of job and i and and also the way kan gao handles things like hospitals there's a lot of scenes in hospitals in these games mm-hmm. <laughs> and um and that makes me wonder if he really if he did have to uh, uh well i think i think i think this is true like um a part of uh his pathos of writing to the moon was about uh him reconcile or sort of reckoning with the the death of his parents Mm -hmm. um 
or uh or the, the deaths of his parents so like there's a, a lot of scenes in hospitals a lot of you know uh a, a lot of scenes about about regret that make that i i think these games would be unplayable if they didn't find the joy in in some of these ideas <laughs> I, I'm, I'm really spinning off the rails here we were only no, no. Th- that mansion stuff is really only the first 30 minutes <laughs> That's true, but you know, there's only like three hours to talk about. So I think that's it's true. Right. Yeah, I, I, think, I think if we try really hard, we can make this podcast episode shorter than the playlight than, than the length of the game. I think that wasn't the case for a bird story because I think I think a bird story really is only a 35 minute game, and Peter and I podcasted about it for about 40 minutes. So that's <laughs> so that that's a um, that might might be the only time in the history of retro encounter that's happened. But let, let's keep that that streak alive. Um, Imposter Factory is the only one of these games that isn't about going and changing someone's memories. Mm-hmm. This is only about sort of experiencing someone's memories and then and and and, and sort of learning from them. I, I think is uh, is sort of where you land on by the end of the game. But back to Quincy at the murder mansion. Um, uh, eventually, things get really surreal. Instead of going in and finding just the dead bodies of the two doctors it's dozens of dead bodies mm-hmm. with uh, that are only of the two doctors. And then he goes into another room and the entire part, everyone in the party is dead instead of just the doctors. And uh, then it gets reset again. And I'm wondering is, and I'm wondering to myself is like, are the cleaner bots that you found in earlier in the game, which, which looks like the rice spot, but is not rice spot. Rice spot is, is a special unique child. <laughs> um, like, like, are the cleaner bots cleaning up after everybody, and not, and and Quincy's not noticing? I wasn't sure what's happening, and and because the world resets every time he washes his hands for a while, you think that oh, washing the hands is the act that is making all of this happen, mm-hmm. but if, but eventually, Linry, uh, who has been sort of annoyed and somewhat impatient with Quincy by now, is like, all right, all right, I I wasn't ex- planning for this to happen, but I think you should deserve to know what's going on. So she has Quincy go in through a room, which is a a, a dark uh, tunnel with with a glowing door, and as Qu- and Quincy basically through a series of these tunnels, um, sees most of Linry's life play out. Like the the mm-hmm. after the first tunnel, it's Linry as a child at a, on a school trip. Then you see certain scenes with her and her parents, and it, it's basically viewing the life of Linry with a sort of phantom Quincy observing all of it. And that's that this is the bulk of the game at like mm-hmm. probably about half of the game's play t- playtime is Quincy going through Linry's life. And most unusual, well, first that we should mention that Linry has some kind of degenerative disease. And as a child, she had to, she was, she collapses and goes to the hospital during this school trip. Her parents are worried if she'll, if she'll survive into adulthood at, at college, Linry is unusually driven to do a lot of work in neuroscience because uh, be, because she thinks that she doesn't she might not have a lot of time left on this world and and needs to make some kind of impact. And when you learn that her work was on memory and uh, and in interfacing and humans interfacing with uh, with recorded memories, made me think, oh, I get it now. This is a prequel, and Linry invents the technology that is into the moon and finding paradise. Yeah. That, that, that was my first thought after we sort of see the first, you know, the first several scenes of Linry's past. Um, wh- where was your head at when this was going on? 
That was pretty much where it was too. Um, yeah, and I think um, I think this is my favorite section of the game too, um, just because like the way that Quincy ends up experiencing most of the memories is in, in like a very linear fashion, which again is very different from To the Moon. But he's like literally like walking from left to right <laughs> like the whole time. Sometimes you go up, sometimes uh, you go down, but yeah. it's mostly left to right. <laughs> right, um, and the way that it will do it. Um, like we'll just be like little patches and images of things as he's walking through sometimes and the way that, um, you know, he kind of sees the progression of the memories. I thought like the visuals were really beautiful. Um, and I thought the way that Gal was communicating things like just through visuals, um, was really lovely, but yeah, I mean, I think and it's interesting. Like I actually thought, um, and I guess we'll talk about this in a minute. There's like a twist in terms of Linnery's relationship to characters in the first two. And interestingly, I thought that was possible when I was first playing. But eventually, um, as you get toward the end of this section, I did not think it was possible anymore. I was like, oh, I was wrong. Um, and then I was right. So, yeah, um, I, I really like this section. We don't have to beat around the bush, uh, really. Um, it, pretty early in this experiencing um, Linnery's life, Qu- uh, Quincy encounters himself. Mm-hmm. He is uh, Linnery's boyfriend and... Uh, um, I, I, and maybe later husband. I'm not sure if they get married. Uh, I don't uh, think they ever say. And they don't really say, or, or at least there isn't a wedding ceremony. Uh, uh, Linry meets um, Qu- Memory Quincy at her university. They have a really sweet and beautiful cu- courtship where Linry mm. is incredibly driven and uh, and and hardworking, while Quincy is a liberal arts major who's a little bit more carefree. And they have different f- philosophies where Linry says. Um, well, I mean, she thinks and says openly, um, I don't know how much time I'll have left. So I feel like I need to make the most of my time here and make a real impact. While Quincy's philosophy is more, um, we should live in, we should live in the moment and, uh, and, and cherish the life we're given, but, uh, but he doesn't have the same feelings of needing to make an impact on the world. Like he, mm-hmm. but he, but he's not a complete flake either. He, he's, he's not just dancing through life. Like, uh, like a certain character in, in Wicked, he's he's um, <laughs> he 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 believes in just you know just uh, of just living life to your to to your fullest every day, and his and he doesn't have a degenerative disease like Linry has, but he lost his parents at a young age and eventually lost his grandmother um, who who raised him at, when as a young adult, and so because he's experienced this kind of loss, he uh, he that he sort of adopted a philosophy of of living your life to the fullest, but, but he, so, so his and Linnery's attitudes about, uh, about living are not really the same, but they sort of complement each other in a way hmm. and watching their courtship and their friendship blossoming into romance is really adorable. It is the, I mean, I mean, I have played through, uh, 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 mo- uh parts of tales of arise and this is already the best romance story of the year. Like it's, uh, it, it, it is a, really beautiful i mean uh, i mean i would almost call it a romantic comedy because it's 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 about the relationship of these two characters and there there's some comedy and some misunderstanding but it's a but 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 it's still a a a serious game um and and you know you know i love romantic things and anyone that's listened to the to five episodes of the podcast can figure that out about me (laughs) but um and 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 i just thought this game was so sweet especially since the different personalities of the very driven Linry and the, and the sort of like carefree poet Quincy are, it, it's, it's a, it's a beautiful relationship. Yeah. I mean, I think that that scene, uh, like their first date 
um, on the br- oh, on the bridge on the yeah. bridge yeah where yeah oh god that's, that's recreating so nice. all the different like monuments and sites with all these like totally ridiculous things that a college student might do um i mean obviously like that is uh a lot for a first date but i think that <laughs> um just the, the the simple simple nature of it i thought that was really lovely um and their interplay um it is just so i think realistic too like i, I just feel like the, like these are the kinds of people who would talk to each other this way. Um, I mean, I think Quincy is almost like maybe too nice of a person sometimes um, over the course of this game. But um, I think that you would have to be that patient um, and you can see what attracts them to each other. Um, and they show so much of who they are together that you can believe and buy into who they are. And you're like really rooting for them. Um, like I, I thought it was really beautifully romantic. And I th- yeah, I thought it was amazing. And I mean, this game visually looks like a 16-bit RPG, which is, you know, sort of the aesthetic that Freebird mm-hmm. Games and Kangao always go for. Uh, and it's ridiculous sci-fi situations about jumping into people's memories and um, and, and, and again, uh, uh, Finding Paradise is sort of about defeating an, an imag- uh, someone's imaginary friend who has turned into a rogue AI. Uh, and then we'll talk about her a little bit later as well. But, uh, like... Quincy and Linry's relationship really does feel like two real people. One sort of intellectual woman who's very driven, um, but 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 does want you know comfort and support in a way. And Quincy, who is almost way too f- nice and patient for the things he goes through in this game, and um, but it, but is but is eminently likable. Their their dialogue feels believable, even though this game is impossible. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, and I think that um, when they do start hitting those roadblocks, um, not to get ahead of us, but, you know, we eventually discover that um, Linry um, gets a job working for um, like a neuroscience place with a lot of characters that we saw at the beginning. Um, and as she has that job and isn't as at home as much, um, it, I, it, I think it also realistically looks at the problems that they would have, you know, um, and kind of what those interplay of those dynamics would look like. Yeah, uh, that's the point point where I think I mentioned this before. I thought this game was about inventing the uh, the technology that is, you know, core to to the moon and finding paradise. Because uh, mm-hmm. when um, Linry gets this job at a foundation, uh, like they, it looks like that they they are in the process of developing that technology, and they found Linry's paper on on encoding human memories, and they're like, oh, this uh, young scientist woman has discovered part of our technology without our without any help from us at all she is, is it looks like she would be a valuable uh asset down the line so th- so they hire her and uh so uh, i was a little bit wrong linry's not the inventor of this technology but she's definitely part of the group that did invent it so she w- starts working for this foundation um it's a secret bunker under the mansion that is uh the real version of the mansion that uh, that we're in a weird murder simulation of in the beginning of the game um, the, the two doctors that are, keep dying in that simulation are the uh, are, are the two sort of um, CEO founders of this foundation, mm-hmm. and, and and for a while, um, Linry and Quincy have not been dating for long. The adorable date on the br- this is only a couple days or weeks after the adorable date on the bridge where he makes an Eiffel Tower out of rooms for her, uh, <laughs> but. Uh, their relationship starts to fracture a little bit where Linry, who is again, still very, very driven, um, keeps working later and later is determined to, uh, to, to, to accomplish this in her life before, uh, 
you know, but before things take a turn for the worse. And, um, and, and they start drifting apart somewhat, but not in a way that they, they don't have a knockdown drag art argument. It's just like Quincy just keeps up staying later and later for her and is, uh, and is obviously sad. And, uh, and, um, Linry's project moves along so much further that she considers just moving into the facility and not living with Quincy anymore. And which, which would just completely break his heart. It, it's it, the, their relationship is tested here, mm-hmm. but then it comes to an unusual head when, uh, on one rare day when Linry doesn't, uh, arrive early for work, she, you know, I mean, she sleeps in a little bit or, and has a discussion with Quincy or something. I don't remember exactly, but, uh, because she's slightly late for work, um, she was going to be the test subject for a big demonstration, but instead, because she was late, uh, one of her other co-workers volunteers instead, and the, the demonstration goes poorly, and the worker uh, pa- passes away. And so mm-hmm. like, she arrives to work with him being wheeled out in an ambulance, and that just completely shocks her. It's like, it's like it, it, is it my fault he died because I was late? It's like, if, if I was on time, would I have died instead of him? I, I sort of volunteered for the experiment because I knew I didn't have a lot of time left on the world, and and, and I would, I might be an ideal candidate for the, for the test subject. And so she blames herself. She's shaken. The, the, the two doctors do not blame her. They, they want her to stay on at, uh, with the foundation, but she just can't handle it anymore. So she apologizes to Quincy and they go and travel the world for, I think a full year Yeah, like in, in, in a way that she never thought she would be able to. And almost as an apology to him, it feels like. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, to kind of back up slightly for a second, I think that one of the things that um, when I was talking about how it tells the story visually, one of the things that I really liked was um, how it so consistently have you like playing as Lynn Rain, you walk in and you can just sort of see how it's later and later and Quincy is there and up later and later and how it just communicates that um, in really subtle ways that I think are really accurate to, I don't know, people in relationships that I've known. Um, and one of the things that I think this game does really well, too, is there's a, there's a conversation before she goes in late that morning um and uh, where basically she says like hey quincy like you knew what you were getting into i told you what this was going to be um and he's you know there's this uncertainty about what she's going to do but it actually like i think one of the things that this game does and uh shortly after it does this as well it makes us really think about like what is the right thing to do and i don't know Like, like obviously the work she's doing is significant and important and i get that um but you also see like the happiness that she has with Quincy and like, you can understand both of their perspectives so well, and there doesn't seem to be like a, a right answer. Um, and I love that it asks the question. Um, and even by the end, it doesn't necessarily provide us with an answer as to what was right in any of these circumstances. Um, and I think it's really lovely and the way that it does it visually. A lot of the time, I think is really cool too. Yeah. Um, uh, 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 building on two things that you said, uh, this relationship feels really real like uh, one um more romantic person and one more workaholic person who love each other and and don't want to give up each other but are being pulled in these different directions feels like a, a real story like uh, we probably know people that have experienced a version of that of the of that kind of relationship even though this is uh, you know about a mem- this is a memory diving science fiction world that we're living in. It's, it's, it's crazy. You mentioned at how good Khan Gao is at uh, telling a story with, with only images and, uh, and, and sort of just with like subtle situations and not explicit dialogue all the time. I feel like he really honed that in a bird story 
which again is the sort of yeah. guide and chapter of this uh, of, of this series that he's been working on for 10 years. Uh, a Bird Story is, is basically a video game version of a silent movie. There's no dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, there is the passage of time and progress, but it's only about a, a, a little boy and his relationship with a with an injured bird that he finds that is told just incredibly beautifully with with no with uh, without any dialogue. And I think that because Kan Gao likes that kind of storytelling that that is that is with sort of player driven sequences of images and scenes without dialogue that 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 makes him unusually well suited to sort of crafting the cinematography of that kind of scene in uh more dialogue heavy games like finding paradise and imposter factory it's he's super good at it and uh the the one other thing i want to mention before we move on to the end game of the story is uh the music in this game um kan gao composes all the music himself these aren't games made entirely by one person uh if you look at the credits uh he uh kan gao receives assistance for things like the more complicated uh, modeling and visual design uh like like these are his games this is about as otori as you can get Mm -hmm. in a video game short of a stardew valley or an undertale uh but like but yeah kan gao does have help but it's all his writing, all of his uh, narrative design, and all of his music. These games are almost like you're listening to a a, a chamber orchestra or sometimes solo piano concerto mm-hmm. of a game. They're like a tone poem. It's just just a a sort yeah. of a lengthy musical performance with uh w- with with a story to follow along. And it's I, I, the musical cues. I don't think they're quite as devastating emotionally to me as that they were in finding paradise (laughs) because finding paradise is a story about two musicians and them playing with each other or even hearing one one of them play in the background while one is doing something else is part of the story but it is just so beautifully presented especially the uh the 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 sort of small orchestra and solo piano in uh imposter factory is just so beautiful yeah i mean i think that that's one of the reasons these games appeal to me so much and i think that um I, while I felt like the music here is quite as impactful as it is in the previous two games, I do think that the visuals um, are maybe more impactful. And you can just see sort of, and I, I like, I don't know, uh, pretentious movies, some people would say, <laughs> uh, that are told mostly like with visuals and sounds and things like that. Um, and thinking about movies in that way and thinking about and, and liking movies for that reason, I feel like he um, is one of the better game makers at being able to pull the different elements of what would make cinema into a video game in a way that um, only a video game could do. Um, and I think that's one of the things that makes this game so remarkable. Yeah. I, I think that Kan Gao has just gotten better at this. Like mm. the, uh, there are more sort of subtle visual cues and, and, and sort of still image storytelling in imposter factory than there were in finding paradise. And it's just because it's Kan Gao has just gotten more comfortable telling this kind of story, even though the, the musical cues aren't maybe quite as elaborate. But but like you said, this is the only this this could have been a well made um, indie film or prestige television ser- uh, series, and it would mm-hmm. still be good. But mm-hmm. the 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 choices that they make in this game really can only be told in a game like that Pokemon Evolution se- uh, Pokemon Evolution scene I mentioned before could only be in a video game, mm-hmm. and the sort of storytelling device of the player exploring a space as Quincy or Linry uh, picking up those memento items 
as like small rewards for viewing a scene and then move and then not being able to go to the next zone or next scene until you collect all the mementos that is an extremely video gamey thing mm-hmm. and a video game player is extremely comfortable doing that kind of thing but it uh it, it, it basically makes the player explore a space in a not exactly linear way that you can't communicate the same way in a film. Mm-hmm. And, and, and because of that, like, like Khan Gao has just gotten better at this kind of storytelling. And I think that imposter factory, even though I don't think it's my favorite of his games, exactly. I think he's, it's, it's just sort of the most sophisticatedly it, it's made in the most sophisticated manner. Cause he, again, I've said five times already, he's gotten better at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree. Yeah, but, but back to the story a little bit. Um, so it, it looks like that Quincy and Linry's relationship is, is on the verge of collapse because of Linry's job and uh, and them having sort of different, slightly different expectations in their relationship, which again is, is extremely normal and feels real to me, but uh, not necessarily being in a relationship like that, but, but knowing it and seeing it. Uh, uh, Linry leaves her job and they travel the world for a while. Like, uh, like Quincy has done a little bit himself and a promise that he would, him and Linry would eventually do together. The, there's a really beautiful series of scenes where you, where they look at almost all the landmarks that Quincy had made for mm-hmm. her on the bridge and the, on oh, their first lovely. date. Yeah. And it's, it's crazy. Um, those scenes like with the Eiffel tower and the pyramids and, uh, and, and in, in Venice, th- each of them is maybe 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. And you can tell that this is just a really beautifully made uh, pixel portrait. Like, like mm-hmm. there's a lot of effort that went into the, into this pixel art, huge, um, multi-screen version of the Eiffel Tower and a balcony where they're seeing it from. But it's only in the game for thirty minutes. Like, like it's yeah. it, it's it's an, it's a huge amount of craft just to, I, just for a single image. I also love that they actually like put you in the places that you would actually be if you're looking at these things. Like, I'm not sure if you've ever been to Paris, but like, that is like the actual overlook like area that like everybody takes their, you know, Eiffel Tower photos in. I was like, oh, that's just like a cool little detail um, that like made that sing a little bit more for me. I, I wonder if uh, if if uh, Gao himself went to <laughs> to Paris and Stonehenge and all these places to, to, to you know, to get, to get the correct mise-en-scene when he recreated them in the game. It certainly seemed like at some point he had been to at least that place. You know, I haven't been to a lot of those other places, but I have been to the Eiffel Tower and I was like, Oh wow. I remember being that exact spot. It, yeah. It, it, it again, like it, it feels very real for this being a, a, a ridiculous video game that, that rewards you with color, colorful spheres whenever you see a new scene but um on on their return trip i think even in the airport um linry feels very sick suddenly and i'm and i'm and my brain is going oh no her disease is resurfacing again and now they're and now they're going to rip her away from us the player tragically uh but no she's not sick because of her condition she's pregnant and uh they're both really excited they're nervous and excited in in and linry's concerned about her condition in a way that a new parent definitely would be um but then uh it's things things seem to be going well until they don't anymore and lin and uh linry's condition does resurface and the doctor basically tells them well we could treat your condition right now and it would compromise the health and safety of the baby, but you, but your uh, outcome would be very, very positive. Or we can delay operation so that the baby can be delivered in a healthy window, but then that would compromise your health, and uh, mm-hmm. and and you might not survive, Linry. 
So that is, again, an, an impossible choice, mm-hmm. just completely devastating. And uh, Linry and Quincy don't know what to do. Um, and they eventually settle on, a be- like, like, you know, Quincy telling Linry, look, I can't lose, I, I, I don't want to lose you. Let's, let, let's treat your condition now. And, and so they do. And their baby is born, but with some underdeveloped organs and not very healthy. There's uh, just some really sad scenes of, the, of, their, of their son, uh, Tobias, or, or Toby, growing up with them. Uh, Toby is, uh, is in a wheelchair a lot of the time. He's hooked up to a respirator or, or similar devices uh, a lot of the time. Um, like uh, you see scenes of Linry uh, reading, uh, reading the little prince to him, and uh, and because the little little prince is sort of a, partially about journeying to the moon and stars, it it, it brings back her relationship with her father, who uh, who um, you know had a, a deep conversation with her about 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 observing the stars when she was a child. It, it it's really sad, and I sort of knew I sort of felt it was going to end this way, but it does end with uh, with with Tobias dying young. Uh, s- somewhat unexpectedly, and uh, and and if if uh, Linry's um, workaholic tendencies almost sort of uh, ruined her relationship with Quincy before, they definitely did this time. Like uh, Linry goes back to the foundation, uh, moves into the facility there, and just completely loses herself in work. And then from there, like sort of as those scenes progress, and you see her ignoring phone calls definitely from either Quincy or her parents, you, you sort of know the relationship's over. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, it, it's like I said, it, 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 it's one of those moments where uh, as I'm watching it, like when they're deciding on what they're going to do about the baby and the disease where I, I'm like, I, I, I don't know that there, I mean, there's, there's no, there's no good option here. Um, and all the options are poor. Um, and yeah. And I think that um, again, getting back to the idea of visual storytelling after uh, Toby dies um, like you see that, that's like a wordless story from there until essentially the end of our story. Right. Um, where, um, you can see the split, um, again, and it feels exactly like what would probably have happened in this situation. Um, and I think that uh, one of the things we haven't touched on is I love, um, kind of throughout this game at the beginning and then here, um, uh, or at the beginning of the sequence, uh, the way that parents, um, are dealing with their sick children and like how realistic that is and how much care, they have for them, I think really also like makes these characters so much more lovable and so much more realistic. Um, but yeah, it's um, a really heartbreaking, devastating moment. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, rolling it back a little ways, uh, the way Linry's parents interact with Linry as a child and, and, and as a, as a college student where they're like, they're clearly so devastated that Linry probably won't live a full life, but the way that they just treat it with such, with such love and compassion, uh-huh. Is, is beautiful to see, but also just totally heartbreaking. And and then the, the scenes almost repeating themselves that way with uh, Quincy and Linry and how they uh, raised Tobias with uh, so much love and compassion, but with this, this underlying, um, this won't end uh, happily, is just completely devastating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was beautifully done. Um, I didn't think that it, quite had the emotional impact of me maybe say to the moon or even finding paradise. Cause there's not like that twist punch. I mean, there's a twist here that we're about to, we're about to talk about, but it doesn't have that same um, impact, I guess. But I thought that it was um, maybe more relatable than those two were to some degree. Yeah. I mean, all, all three of these ga- stories are very, very human games. 
they they uh, like the, these uh the, the way that characters talk and react feels way too real for being a game that's presented in in vaguely 16-bit sprites but moving forward uh, as we see these scenes after quincy and linry break up and we see them both visibly age uh it ends with linry working at the foundation's facility with her hair graying and her clearly entering middle age but while uh, at the scenes at the house party at the beginning she is you know still a young woman with uh, with red hair like and you're still controlling this phantom version of quincy it becomes extremely clear that quincy is viewing the memories of of linry uh, that have happened long ago, but because your form is still of a young Quincy, he sort of realizes, okay, I'm not this. I'm not the Quincy in in this story. The Quincy in the story is her memory of her ex boyfriend, and I am some kind of recreation of him. Mm-hmm. And they confirm that where after you reach the end of the story, basically the present day, where Linry is. Uh, working on a final version of the prototype of the memory reader that we, or memory editor that we, that we see into the moon and finding paradise. But uh, she even like transforms from a young woman into a middle-aged woman in front, in front of the player controlled Quincy and says, yes, basically I'm running this as a simulation for final testing before we show it to investors. Cause I don't want something to happen. Like what happened to my coworker years ago when, uh, when he died during a, uh, during a failed test. And I'm just running these simulations over and over. I created you as an observer. Why did I use the form of my ex-boyfriend? I don't know. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm a little bit stunted emotionally from all of this. Uh, but I still need you to help me with a couple tests. So <laughs> for this part of the game, uh, you know that there's something going wrong with the machine. So and and uh, and so Quincy, as an observer, accompanied by Long Cat and Ricebot, again the two greatest characters in the in of 2021. Um, you basically basically enter and re-enter rooms uh, until everyone in the room dies suddenly, and sometimes it happens after like two entrances, sometimes after five. And 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 Ricebot says, "Okay, recording data. Thank you. Let's go to the next room." And and like for a while, it's it's just completely surreal. What while basically Quincy uh, trying to, you know, like figure out just sort of dealing with the uh, knowledge that he is not a real person and an AI created for the simulation while entering and exiting rooms until people die horribly is it's, it's real weird. And, and even though, you know, Quincy is an AI and not a real person, you really start sort of like sympathizing with his struggle or not understanding his struggle, but just feeling kind of bad for him because what Linry is putting him through is a little messed up. But after all of that happens, Linry still isn't really sure why these anomaly anomalous deaths are happening. So she has Quincy and the cat uh, go into the basement facility where sort of the, the server room is or, or the, the memory device is. And this is when the game starts to get the, as surreal as it, as it gets uh, a shadowy, vaguely Lovecraftian horror destroys the machine, shutting down the simulation and then forms into Faye the imaginary friend rogue AI from finding paradise. Yeah, I was not expecting that. <laughs> she was, she, she's never identified by name, but if you've played finding paradise, she's unmistakably that Faye. Yeah. And, uh, and sort of, and she even mentions, Oh yeah, you guys are bound by the rules of physics here, but physics are more like guidelines for me. And so she summons, you know, birds and paper planes 
which again are, are huge visual motifs from Finding Paradise, and and takes and explains to uh, Linry and Quincy that well, this isn't exactly the real human Linry running a simulation. Really, is I am running uh, hundreds or maybe thousands of simulations involving Linry and Quincy and all of the different paths they might have taken in life. And this is actually the 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 final one. This is the last simulation on the top of stacks of simulations that I've been running over and over. And so Linry and Quincy are very confused, but go on a paper airplane journey with Faye, uh, like like through this the, this metaphysical uh, like false memory and 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 then they sort of tell you what the real story is from this mm-hmm. point on uh so should we go into that or just want to want to talk about how weird it is seeing Faye again i mean i uh as i said as we we're talking about it, like this was uh not what i was expecting <laughs> um like i w- really did not see like the stacks upon stacks of um ideas coming through and because we hadn't seen the characters from the previous two games like if you told me that the first character i was going to see was Faye, that would not have been my expectation um but i mean it makes sense once you understand it but um yeah and i think that at first i was thinking oh really you're just telling me this is all ai and it's not real but i think the way they wrap it up as we'll talk about in a second here ends up still maintaining the emotional core of the game for me yeah and and Faye uh tells Linry and Quincy, or the AI versions of them, uh, like yeah, this is the uh, we we've been running simulations over and over on top of each other, and we're at the top of the Jenga stack right now. It's it's very unstable, so we have to end this simulation and sort of go all the way back down to base. Otherwise, all of this will go very badly. Mm-hmm. Um, and she th- through these you know metaphors of going through memory via paper airplane and you, you know just all the uh, moving visual choices that Kangao makes in these games. The, the, she explains to them that these simulations were all about Linry and Quincy, but not, but the, the story that they saw of, of, uh, of, you know, um, of Tobias being born and dying young and Linry going back to the foundation. None of that, all of that is fiction. It is a simulation of them making certain choices. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the truth of the matter is, is that, uh, in in the real world, like out of the simulation, in the real world, they uh, they decided to delay Linry's operation so that their son could have the the best possible uh, window to, to being born healthy. And they don't name their the baby in this in this timeline. They don't name their baby Tobias. They named their baby Neil. And so this is Neil Watts, the one of the main characters of To the Moon and Finding Paradise. Uh, and Linry and Quincy are his parents. So uh, Neil is born healthy, but it compromises Linry's health quite a bit. So they recreate some of the scenes that we saw uh, w- with the, the sick and wheelchair-bound Tobias, but instead it's Linry in the wheelchair of them th- doing things like visiting a, play- a playground mm-hmm. or, or, or viewing scenes from uh, the, their son at school. Uh, and we see Neil grow up and uh, Linry get increasingly sick until she passes away. Uh, but then Neil is diagnosed with the same degenerative disease that uh, that afflicted Linry, which which you know go, ties back to Finding Paradise, where we see Neil um, getting very sick and taking and taking some risky medication uh, uh, during the sort of uh, towards the end of that game. Um, and uh, and Neil tries to get a job at the same foundation where his mother used to work at, but is rejected. 
possibly because of uh, of, of his legacy there. They they think he might um, he he might you know compromise their work. So instead, he gets a job at Sigmund Corporation using the same technology that the foundation developed for these uh, uh, for this you know memory editing service that is provided in to the moon and finding paradise and so uh, the phantom linry and quincy watching this in, in a way they're happy seeing their son grow up to be held uh, a healthy and successful young man uh, healthy other than this disease that linry passed on to him but also just sad that their uh, that their relationship still ends somewhat tragically since Linry dies, you know, younger than she should have. Uh, and, and, and they don't get to see their, you know, they don't get to, to have a, you know, a full, full life together. And uh, so, so there's some relief in seeing their son survive and then more tragedy in knowing that, that, that even though they stay together, Linry, Linry dies, dies young, like because of this, I don't know, what do you want to call it? A sliding doors moment or a, or a, uh, or, or a decision point moment, but like mm-hmm. th- the fact that you're watching a simulation of how one decision can change multiple lives and affect this relationship that we've grown very attached to. It's, it's, it, it was really affecting. I, I, I did not exactly weep at this, uh, at, at this, at, at this point of the story. Um, because I, I, because I don't know, I don't know. This is the kind of shenanigans I expect from them by now, mm-hmm. but, but this is like, this is when the game just stopped being about one relationship and tied itself to the greater Sigmund Corporation trilogy story in a way that was really interesting and satisfying. Oh yeah, I agree. And I think that to me, the most moving part of it is like the AI version of Linry um, being able to see like that in real life, she made a different choice. Um, And like, obviously the way that regret had um, sort of pressed her forward within that simulation um, I thought was really, really deeply moving um, that that was um, like that she got to see the truth of it um, and that that was the decision that she wishes she had made, I suppose. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that um, the the connection to Neil, I think, is really moving too. this idea that um, he's obviously working through something with his mom um, and the care that he obviously has for her. And given that it's a simulation, like obviously how much he liked his dad too, because Quincy's such a nice guy. <laughs> um, yeah. I think it's really uh, compelling. It, well, I don't think it's, it's Neil's influence that shows Quincy as an endlessly nice and patient guy. It's, it's Linry's. Oh yeah. She's at, using her memories. Yeah. yeah. At the end of the simulation, uh, or I should say at the end of those scenes, they reveal that Linry went to her old contacts at the, at the foundation, uh, uh, old silly Dr. Kim, who I think was one of the creators of rice spot. Uh, again, rice spot, one of the top two characters of 2021. <laughs> um, uh, and she uses the foundation's technology to create a living memory that she can give to her son when he, after he grows up. So what we're playing through now is a simulation um, made from Linry's memories before she passed away starring fake AI versions of Linry and Quincy. But how does Faye enter this exactly? It's because that this memory provided by Linry is being viewed by Neil, her son as an adult using probably stolen technology from his job. Uh-huh, <laughs> uh, for sure. <laughs> it is, yeah, definitely stolen technology from his job to view the memory, uh, the, the memory software um, that his mother had left him. And he's running this simulation with the assistance of Faye, the, the rogue AI, to see to like see what might have happened 
if uh, if if different choices had been made. And e- like so, th- this ro- this AI Quincy and AI Linry aren't exactly real, but but like having them experience a different timeline and then see the true timeline is relieving and satisfying to them in a way that is like very weird explaining it out loud, but, 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 but really, you know, a a really moving, uh, uh, plot point overall. Yeah. I mean, I think it asks questions about like how we value AI and like consciousness and things like that. But, you know, by the time we get to this point, whether it's AI or not, is kind of irrelevant to us because these are the people we've spent all this time with. Yeah, They're they're, Um, they're, they're real to us um, regardless of what they are in the context of the story. Yeah. And so like, I think that, um, it, it has the same emotional impact, maybe even more so because they, uh, because of the way that it ends and the opportunities that uh, Neil gives them to do something different. Yeah, almost as a reward for what she put them through, uh, Faye takes the uh, uh, takes the AI versions of Quincy and um, and 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 Linry. Uh, she takes them to the moon, where all of the other surviving AI versions of Quincy and, and, and Linry from the multiple si- simulations are all sort of resting. She sort of consolidates them all into a single Quincy and Linry, and then creates a new timeline where. Uh, where Linry and and uh, Neil both survive healthy through the, their their procedures and childbirth, and and live a happy, fulfilling life. Like like you you see a slideshow of sorts again in that silent storytelling way that Khan Gao is brilliant at, where uh, where every outcome is the happiest outcome, sort mm-hmm. of almost, almost like, again rewarding them for everything they've been through over the course of these simulations, and it's. It's very sweet. Uh, you see Neil grow up as sort of a, a nerdy teenager who has uh, uh, e- Ava, the main character of, of To the Moon and Finding Bar- Paradise, uh, or co-main character along with Neil, as sort of a childhood friend that they, where their friendship r- blossoms into romance and marriage, which I think is looking a little bit at the uh, <laughs> at, 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 at Neil's uh, subconscious feelings for <laughs> for for the real for the real <laughs> Ava. Um, and and you basically get to see Linry and Quincy grow old together and uh, and meet their grandchildren and uh, and 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 sort of and uh, and leave on their own terms, where uh, just before uh, like Faye shuts down the simulation, and when and when that simulation shuts down, you see Neil sort of wake up from his well the first credits roll, and then you see Neil wake up from his um or uh, uh, detach himself from the from the memory editing machine having sort of viewed his uh, mother's entire uh, memory and then uh, a few uh, simulations where she made different choices. And ultimately, I think probably probably feeling okay uh, about the choices his mother made for his sake, mm-hmm. even though he definitely misses her and, um, and, and maybe wonders what might have happened if she made different choices. But that simulation gave him the... the if not a, a, a perfect answer, a, a, as thorough an answer as he could have gotten. Mm-hmm. And it ends, and it ends with him uh, leaving to, to go with his coworkers to maybe a bar, maybe out for ice cream and not, not exactly uh, certain, but, yeah. but with some uh, sort of an, an open, like an open ended kind of uh, Neil's going to continue his work and he and maybe maybe part of why Neil is so unusually uh, uh, driven and even and and acerbic is because of who his mother is. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
Uh, and, and he's probably as dedicated to, um, mastering this memory technology and maybe curing his own illness as she was. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, it frames the game as sort of, um, and you see this sort of through the simulations. And I was talking about this earlier about like relationships between parents and children and sort of what that means. But, um, I like the way that it ties it up there at the end and sort of his desire to give his mom a happy ending that she couldn't have. Um, how much that means, I guess, is a question that is, I don't know, up for debate or philosophical, but, um, just the way in which I think that he's dealing with his emotions on that. Um, but also um, how driven he is to kind of master this technology in its own way. Um, I think is interesting from like a lore story perspective, but also from a characterization perspective for Neil, who we don't know that well um, in the first two, but I feel like I know him a lot better based on him doing this. And and this goes back to the idea of, of Khan Gao's uh, design influence being related to the, uh, uh, him sort of reconciling with the, the death of his parents. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I, I'm, I, I hope I'm not uh, I'm, I'm not over philosophizing here, but I, I think Kangao wonders how his life might have changed if he or his parents had made a few different uh, specific choices. And this game is sort of like it's sort of telling a story where you play out scenarios where different choices were made that feels really that that, that feels ex- like extremely. Um, true to the story that he wanted to tell if, if that makes sense like this this is yeah, absolutely this is a very human story where they do impossible things but still like retain an emotional core that about relationships and parents with their children and uh and 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 suffering and and uh and what living your life to the fullest means and uh and they say, they say this later in the story that uh in a conversation between quincy and linry that uh or maybe it's linry and her father uh, Linry always felt that because her time on this earth was limited, she had to make an impact. But then her conversation partner respond, responds with, well, if, if someone really loves you and cherishes you, isn't that enough of an impact? Right. And, and that, that is, that is an incredibly beautiful sentiment and mm-hmm. just one of many, many beautiful things about this game. And, and listeners, uh, you maybe you've played this game if you're listening to this podcast maybe you haven't i know i listen to video game and movie podcasts where i haven't always played the game or watched the movie and 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 still definitely get enjoyment and value out of it so i'm I'm not saying you need to play this game to listen to the podcast but i hope that playing this that listening to this podcast at least makes you more interested in this game or appreciate this game at a at a slightly different level because this is a the, the whole trilogy is a moving series of video games that could only really be told through a video game. And I wholeheartedly recommend any of them. All, I wholeheartedly recommend all of them to people with the patience to play this kind of game. Cause this is, again, this is not a, a Michael Bay blockbuster <laughs> with that. That is, that is action packed and has, and has moments of catharsis and violence that, that are satisfying on the, in their own way. This is an, this is an indie film about a relationship between two or three people that is not that that has no violence and and whose only satisfaction comes from just you know the the like the emotions that the player goes through and if that sounds like your kind of game then i it i think these uh the kangao trilogy starting with to the moon are must plays yeah and if you're ambitious you could clear you could clear them all out in one day you know and i think that um it was more emotional truth and more emotional impact and more emotional weight 
in the three and a half, four hours you play Imposter Factory than there are in the vast majority of AAA games. Which I know it sounds like reductive, but it's the truth. I mean, that, that's what you're looking for, and that's what you want out of your game is story, emotion. Then you you come to the right place with any of these games, and um, the way that he shows his philosophies about life um, by approaching it from so many different angles in these three games, um, I think is really interesting. And I, you know, we, we call it a trilogy, but even in the end credits, it shows that the story is going to continue, which I think is. Yes. It, it, it shows um, to the moon is game number one. And then the two sort of Sigmund files, DLC free games as games, sort of one a and one B then uh, finding paradise is game two and a bird story as sort of game two a even though a bird story came out before finding paradise and uh but they didn't identify imposter factory as game three they called it game x because mm. this game could take place well it definitely takes place after imposter fact excuse me it takes place after finding paradise because Faye is a major character but it, it like it could take place after a game three or four or before a game three or four. Cause this isn't about like the next thing that happens to Neil. This is about Neil experiencing his mother's memories to better understand his, uh, his relationship with his parents. Mm-hmm. So that like, this is game X. It is basically a large guide and chapter. If you, uh, it, it, like, and that will probably make sense, make more sense if Ken Gao eventually gets to 10 games and is able to put them all in, in, in an order somehow. But uh, this story will continue because there are definitely more things that Neil and and uh, and Eva and Faye and all the others will go through before uh Gao's ready to retire from making video games. And that that is really exciting to me because in the four of these that I have played, uh, there, there is not a dud among them. Agreed. <sighs> Retro Encounter does have a, maybe a few duds in our 300 episode run. But I don't think today was one of them. Uh, thank you so much, Zach, for uh, helping me sort out my feelings after playing this very emotional game. Absolutely. I mean, you, have, you haven't really had time to process yet. I have, so yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 again, I, I, I finished Shin Megami Tensei Five and Imposter Factory like within two days of each other, and I played uh, SMT Five for like seventy hours and uh, Imposter Factory for about three hours, and, and I think the one that I'm I, I, that is that is more impactful to me was <laughs> was Imposter Factory, and, and I can believe it. But that, but Shin Megami Tensei fa- uh, Five, I play for a bunch of gameplay reasons, and uh, Imposter Factory, I played for a bunch of story reasons, and I think that that's just that that's just how I'm feeling about these games now. But I but I still have uh, to to sort out my feelings about both of them before I get to writing my game of the year piece. Mm-hmm. But, and, I, and I've talked about game of the year pieces multiple times in the past couple episodes, listeners, because uh, that is looming very, very large right now in the up, up to RPG fan staff. And, uh, and hopefully sure we is. will have our, yeah, we'll have our game of the year stuff out. Um, hopefully by around the new year, but I, I can't say exactly when that'll happen. Um, and, and then Zach, you're going to be one of the people working extra hard on those features. Yeah. Even as the person who's in charge, I can't tell you exactly when they'll be out, <laughs> yeah. but hopefully they'll be out in a somewhat timely manner. And I can tell you that I will talk about SMT five and imposter factory whenever I write something, uh, for end of the year, but, uh, we're not quite at the end of the year yet, right? Um, we have three more episodes in December before we have to change our calendars. And, uh, the next two will be on final fantasy five the uh, 1993, no, 1992 or 1993 classic um, on for the Super Famicom that was later ported to the PlayStation and Game Boy Advance and now a Pixel Remaster version on PC. 
and probably other places I'm forgetting. Final Fantasy V is excellent. I really, really like that game. But I, uh, I'm, I'm passing on those episodes this month because I have some other things I want to take care of. But the next, we're going to have two episodes on Final Fantasy V very soon, and I'm really excited to listen to them and see how they turn out because Final Fantasy V is great. But, um, al- but also in December, we're doing our annual year-end episode about uh, the games we played in 2021. Uh, we yeah, I've, we've only just started planning that out, and I really want to knock out at least one more game before we get to, before we record that. So we'll see how that turns out. And we've started to plan out January of 2022. Um, we're definitely having two episodes on Skies of Arcadia, hosted by Alana. That's uh, that is that game completely annihilated the other games in the public poll that we held to deter- to determine <laughs> what the first game of 20 uh, of 2022 on Retro Encounter would be. So uh, we we're gonna have an enthusiastic panel talking about Skies. Uh, next month and i think we're also going to do an episode on our favorite games for the playstation 2 yeah the the ps2 has a hell of an rpg library a lot to discuss there i think we're good that is going to be maybe our first episode of 2022 but we we've only just started figuring it out yet and uh, i'll after we you know can schedule that around people's holiday vacations we will have more information on it for you in the next few weeks. But uh, if you want some listeners, if you want some informa- more information from us, the best way to reach out to us is to email retro at rpgfan.com. You can also visit rpgfan.com's main website and forums. Uh, also, the, our Facebook page, our Instagram, Twitter, Discord, YouTube, and Twitch. All of them are called rpgfan or rpgfancom. Please interact with rpgfan in however manner you choose to do so. We also have three other fine podcasts to listen to in the RPG Fan Podcast Network, <laughs> Random Encounter every two weeks about uh, current games and randomness rhythm encounter also every two weeks about a variety of music related rpg topics as, as well as sort of a listening party for rpg music every two weeks and also phoenix edge which is ho- which is a uh, post somewhat sporadically but is mostly about current events with rpgs and usually hosted live on youtube whenever they record you can review those three podcasts or retro encounter on apple Podcasts, google play spotify basically any uh podcast venue that you choose but so please leave feedback for all of our podcasts. We love feedback. Five stars, five stars, however you uh, like to do so. But uh, if you like, if you would like to reach out to us as individuals and not as a podcast or a website, uh, let's share our social media with them, Zach. Uh, you can email me uh, Zach W at RPGFan.com, or you can also get me on the RPG Fan Discord at Zach W. And as for me, I am easiest to find on Twitter. I am attached to that website like a tumor, and I wish I wasn't, but alas, I am. Uh, I'm, I'm most of the time the real at the real monsoon. Other times at Evoker for Dogs, and on RPG Fans Discord, I am Monsoon Mike. Okay, so this simulation's over. Uh, I guess we should just reset and start again and see how it happens the second time. Good plan. Thank you. Good night. And good luck.